0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. My name is Dave. I serve as lead pastor here at Harvest. If you are new to our church, welcome. Um... I I was really stirred during that last song that we sang, um, those lyrics that say, If I ever needed you now, if I ever needed you, I need you now. And uh, as we were singing, I don't know, something just kind of grabbed my heart, thinking about how many people all over the world today are screaming that prayer in their hearts, in their spirit, uh, in prisons of all kinds, and how God is faithful to always meet people when they shout for them. And so uh, that's just, that just really was stirring my heart. And I want, it's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker this morning, my friend Louis Dooley. Um, Lewis, uh, I, I actually first met him when we shared the stage at a speaking event, and I had never met him before. I was there to be the main speaker, and he was giving a testimony. But I listened to him, I'm like, I don't want to go up and talk anymore. <laughs> this, I want to just go home and pray. I was so stirred by what I heard him share that I made sure to make a connection with him afterwards, and we've become friends ever since then. And his life, his story, is for me one of the greatest living illustrations of God's love for people and his plans for us, even when we may have given up plans for ourselves. And I I don't want to take up any more of his time. You're going to be stirred by God's spirit as you hear him share from the word and from his story.
1: So let's give a hand to Louis Dury. Thank you, brother. Good morning, harvest. It's a blessing being here today. Whoa, we didn't do a mic check, so maybe um, tone me down a little bit. I, I get a little excited sometimes, so I don't want to bust the speakers or any eardrums. But it's a blessing being here today. And, you know, when I encounter God in his word, it challenges me. I mean, it really challenges me, some of the things that Jesus says, actually, pretty much everything that Jesus says challenges me. And when I get an opportunity to share God's word with people, the only thing I can seem to do is challenge people. So today is going to be a little challenging. Um, usually when I get a chance to speak, I like putting a few jokes here or there to kind of warm people up and draw them in. We ain't going to have none of that today. <laughs> so you're going to have to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit to really engage in this Because my hope and prayer for you today, for us, for us, not just you, for us today, is that we can draw closer to Jesus and have a deeper relationship with Him. Today, I wanna share a story with you about how going to prison saved my life, and how that if you go to prison, it'll save your life too. That's right. You heard me right. That if you go to prison, It'll save your life, too, just like it saved mine. Now, here's the idea behind that. I'm not actually saying go commit a crime, go to prison so you can uh, stop getting ready to find an exit. The idea behind um, me going to prison and saving my life is literal. At 19 years old, I went to prison, and in turn, it saved my life because that's where I met Jesus. My first day as I went to jail after being convicted of attempted murder and first-degree robbery and given life in 100 years, I went to go take a man's life, and he shared the gospel with me At first day. And I was desperate. I needed hope. I didn't want to live, and the gospel presented life. It presented life that I desired to want to have. So I chose to put my faith and trust in Christ, and that is how prison saved my life. And this whole thought of if you go to prison, it'll save your life is that many people across the world are in prison. And I'm not talking about a building, you know, with bars and barbed wire and fences and gates and walls. I'm talking about spiritual prison. I'm talking about sin. If we were to search our hearts like the psalmist says and say, Lord, show us there's any sin that is in us. We may be alarmed at some things that pop up in our life. Thus, the reason going to prison will save your life if you go to these things in your life and deal with them through the power of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through meditating on God's word, through abiding in him, you too can be made free. You too can maybe be made free. Now, we already know about the starting point, right? the starting point of who are we and who is Jesus. We are people who are far from God. The Bible tells us that we're enemies of God. The word of God also tells us that we're on a pathway to a place that was not created for man, that place being hell. But it also tells us that there's a, a a savior who's coming to the world that provides love, that provides light that provides life for all who will place their faith and trust in Christ. And most, if not all of us in here today, we know that story. We understand that we've raised our hands, so to speak, and said yes to Jesus. We've we've asked him in our heart, so to speak. We've said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Right? That's probably most, if not all of us today. So I don't want to spend as much time on that part as i do the rest and so before i go any further um one of the passages today that i want to read from i only have a few today but i really want to dive deep is in matthew's gospel chapter 7 verse 7 jesus says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and it will be opened to you See, it all starts with asking, right? Once we find out who we are outside of Christ and we understand the grace that God has given to us, then we ask. We ask God to forgive us. We confess our sins to God. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And so we understand that the payment for this was death for our sin, and that's eternal separation from him in hell. And Jesus is the only way to be delivered from this prison of sin, right? That is our standing. That is our position before God and man is that we are no longer paying for the penalty of our sin. But this does not take away the bondage of our sin that we place ourselves in. See, God didn't give Jesus to the world just so that we would be saved so that we can just continue on the same behaviors and same patterns of our lives. No. God gave us his only son so that we can be delivered from every weight of sin so that it no longer has to have power, dominion, and control over our lives. But if this is true, then why do we let ourselves get trapped in so many things? Why do we place ourselves in so many different prisons that keep us from really understanding and experiencing the grace that God wants to continue to give us? Why? That is a great question that I ponder myself when I find myself in a prison that I've placed myself in. I ask myself, why, Lord, when you've died, so that I no longer have to be in bondage to sin? do I continue to place myself in that bondage? And and I like the fact that at least that's on my radar to ask the question because if it's not on my radar to ask, then I'm probably just walking through life just sinning and and not even tripping and just saying, glory to God, I'm saved. One day I'm going to spend eternity in heaven with him. And just be okay with that. And just be okay with that. I believe there's a number of Christians in our world whose attitude is just that. They're okay with just going to heaven. They really can care less about immersing themselves in the Christian life. They almost take the grace of God as if, as if it's a joke, as if Jesus is just some story that happened like a fairy tale that is not really even real to them. And so what I want to focus on this morning is some things that I prayed about long and hard, seeking God on some examples of some things that maybe we miss, right? It's easy to miss these things that hold us back. It's easy to miss the prisons that we put ourselves in. For some of you, maybe it's the prison of work. Maybe it's the prison of work. You're breaking your neck to get to the top of the ladder, neglecting your, your children and your family. It's all about climbing that corporate ladder, trying to get to the top. You have a good motive to provide for them, But really, you're seeking to fulfill your selfish desires, and all your family really wants is you. It's your own selfish desires to get to the top, to be in control. Maybe your prison is work. Maybe you aren't working for your family at all, but for yourself. You want the prestige, the power, the prominence that comes along with it, right? That's a a lot of times that's a, a man thing, right? We want to be in control. We want the power. We want to be on top. Maybe your prison is work. The recognition of where you live and the things you have become the dominant thing in your world. It's all about where you go, what you do, and what you have. How you're always racing to be the first to have the newest vehicle, right? As soon as a new model comes out, you have to have it. Or maybe it's the new tech. As soon as the new Samsung product, Apple product, the new tablet or pad comes out, the new type of television, the new um, innovative alarm system, like anything tech, maybe that's become your prisoner where your whole life is surrounded by just that. And you're just neglecting the things that the Lord really has for you. But maybe work isn't there for you. Maybe you're like, nah, I don't even really like the work. (laughs) That would be more me. (laughs) Not to say I don't, but work wouldn't be it for me. Maybe it's your children. Children are a gift from God. They truly are. Children are a gift from God. But maybe you want to give your children every opportunity to be all that they can be. That's a good thing, right? We should want our children to be all that they can be. We should want that. You want them to have more than what you had, you want them to be better than you. Again, all good things that we should want for our children. But in an effort to create this future for them, we get them involved in every extracurricular activity known to man. Everything, right? Whether it's sports, whether it's academic, whether it's musical. I mean, the list can go on and on. We just, we plug our children into everything, wanting them to have more, be more, better than ourselves. We're trying to create this future for them, this utopia that we think is going to be great for them. And if they don't like one of the things, well, there's thousands more to choose from, right? There's many more if they're, they're not that um, good with a soccer ball or a basketball or, or a violin or a piano or science club, or robotics. Like there's a list of hundreds of things that we can get our children involved in and where we're running and we're shuffling and we're looking at the clock and we're racing through the intersections hoping that the camera doesn't click and we get this ticket in the mail because we got to get there on time. We got to get them involved in every single little thing. And that becomes a prison. It becomes a prison because this is your day-to-day focus of your life. And where do you see the Lord in this? Where is his time in this? But wait, we go to church on Sunday morning and my kids are involved in children's ministry. And those are good things. Those are really good things. But see, we should be concerned with teaching them to seek God first instead of seeking all these other things first. We should stop outsourcing our children's spiritual well-being to other sources and be the parents that God intended us to be for our children. I believe some of us are trapped in this prison, and we're not seeking the Lord. We're not spending the time praying with our children. We're not spending the time getting into God's word with our children and teaching them and communing before the table of the Lord and you modeling for them not some pastor, which is good, not some youth pastor, which is good, but you, the parent, modeling what it looks like to be a godly man, a dad, a godly mom, a mother. This is, I believe, what God intended for us, for our children. Now, these things I mentioned are not bad things. It's good to have a a cultured child and a child that has opportunities to experience different things. But when it becomes the rat race of our life, where it becomes the most dominant thing that's controlling everything that we're doing. And some of you parents know what I'm talking about. When that becomes the dominant thing, that becomes a prison. We're in prison to this, and we need to break free. And we wonder why our children end up as prodigals, right? We wonder why when they get to a certain age where we don't make them go to church, they, I don't want to go to church anymore. Or maybe they become an adult and they just fall away from the church. And we wonder why. See, we would hope that they would be the prodigal because the prodigal does what? He comes back. So being the prodigal isn't the worst. The worst is leaving and being gone for good. And what part did we play in that? We not only put ourselves in this prison, we took our kids our children, along with us. You see, these prisons I just talked about are idols. An idol is when you put anything above the Lord, anything. An idol can be anything that you put above serving God. And the first commandment, right, this is the very first commandment. I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any strange gods before me. Any strange God, the God of tech, the God of of being the CEO or the business owner? The God of the, the premier athlete or preeminent musician? Again, nothing wrong with these things. But when they take the preeminence in our lives over the Lord, these become idols. But see, these are kind of exterior things. Those are the easy things. Now I want to talk about some tough stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get a little more personal now maybe your prison is lust. Maybe your prison is lust. Maybe you find yourself looking at inappropriate things, right? Whether it's on a phone, a tablet, a TV, dare I even say live. Maybe that's your prison, your secret prison that nobody knows about. Nobody will ever know. Just me and my lust. But wait. There's also God who knows. He sees you in this prison that you're in. This is an easy easy one that plagues most men. I'm not saying not any women, but most men this plagues. And we don't have to spend much time on this because you know who you are and you know what you're doing to sin it against God, right? There's, There's no secret There's no light bulbs going off on anybody's mind this morning that's in the prison of lust saying, oh, I didn't know that was wrong. None of that's happening because you already know. But maybe it's having an emotional affair with someone at work or at the gym and you don't even know it. You don't even know you're having this emotional affair. Yeah, I said it, emotional affair. Nothing physically has transpired but we know that that's just one part of the affair. And oftentimes the emotional bond happens first and for a longer period of time before anything physical takes place in an affair. You've checked out of your marriage, and there's someone else that you really connect with. You connect with them now way more emotionally than you do with your spouse now who's, who's trapped in his, his prison, right? Right? And now you're finding yourself in your own. You can't wait to get to the gym or to work, to the library, wherever this place is, so you can have a conversation with this person. You can't wait to be able to tell them your most intimate, most deepest, darkest things because they understand, because they're there for you. They've got their arms wide open to give you the hugs, to nurture you, to help you make it through these things and you find yourself more and more emotionally tied to this individual that you should not be. But then you start having these feelings, right? You start having these feelings, but you, you identify it, and you understand what it is. Or oh, we're just good friends. This is my good friend. You know, this is my hanging buddy. This is who I kick it with. That's the lie that you're telling yourself, knowing that it's deeper than that. Knowing the more and more you're connected to this person and you're drawn towards them, the more and more you're drawn away from your husband or wife. This emotional affair that you're having, this prison that you're stuck in, that that eventually one day lands you in this dark place where you go, how did this happen? How did this happen? Where did this come from? I didn't even see it. That's why I'm talking about it this morning. Because oftentimes we ourselves, the ones who are actually in this, you never see it until boom, one day it just happens. One day it just happens. Next is the prison of unforgiveness. This is a very popular one as well. Um, This is very common. I heard an old saying a long time ago that stuck with me and it kind of, I think it kind of relates. It says, Unforgiveness is like drinking poison waiting on your enemy to die. Anybody ever heard that before? I I never came over the original thought, so it definitely got stolen or or borrowed from someone. But check it out. I'm going to say it again. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison waiting on your enemy to die. That don't even make sense, does it? But it's true. It's one of those things that make you think and go, huh? That don't make sense, but it's true. It's very true. Maybe you've been hurt deeply before. I remember as a young person getting in fist fights and getting beat up, I don't feel the weight of any of that anymore. I don't. I don't feel the lumps I had on my head or the busted lip or the scar on my knee. That stuff is gone. I don't remember it. But you know what stuck with me all these years is the emotional scars that they've left in my life. That stuff sometimes never leaves us. And as a result of that, we cannot forgive. We put ourselves in this prison where we choose not to forgive this person. And you know why? Because they don't deserve it. They do not deserve to be forgiven for what they did to me. That's the attitude we have. And sometimes it goes even further talking about people burning in hell and hoping they get hit by a car or a bus. Like, it can get really nasty, right? We can get really vindictive because of this unforgiveness prison that we put ourselves in. Or maybe you've forgiven someone many times just to keep being hurt over and over again. And you're like, I'm done. I'm done. Jesus, I tried the seven times 70. I can't get there. I got the eight. I can't get there. And I'm done. I'm tapping out. It's over. But see, a lot of times we walk around with this hurt and this pain and this anger and it dominates our life. It dominates our life. It ruins family get-togethers if it's a family member. Maybe it's a person at work where there's this uneasy tension where you go to the office or wherever you go every day and it's like you're trying to avoid them. And a lot of times they're kind of just walking around like happy-go-lucky. They don't even know what's going on sometimes. Or they didn't let that stuff go. And here you go walk around with your lip all poked out and a frown on your face. Really wanting to bust them upside the head, but you're too scared. Or you thinking, that'll be sin if I bust them upside the head or if I do something to them. But you're not thinking about the, the sin that's in you from the thoughts and the motives that you have and even holding this unforgiveness that you're in. Maybe you've never made any mistakes before. Wow. You've never made any mistakes, and this person has really hurt you. And they're wrong and they're bad. So you have a justifiable reason to be um, having this unforgiveness towards them, right? No. No. All we have to do is look back to the cross. All we have to do is look back to the cross. In Colossians um, chapter 3, verse 13, it says to forgive one another just as the Lord forgave you. We should be willing to forgive other people just as God forgave us. I don't know about you, but I need a ton of forgiveness because I mess up a lot. So how can I go around not forgiving or giving someone else grace when I know I need a whole lot myself? They got a word for that. Called a hypocrite. I can't give the grace, but I want a whole lot of it myself. I need to be forgiven for all my shortcomings. But you, you messed with the wrong person, buddy. And there's no forgiveness for you. That's a prison that we allow ourselves to be trapped in. And Matthew 6, it says, forgive other people when they sin against you and your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. See, that's one of them tough ones, right? When Jesus says that, it's like, well, well, wait a minute, God. What do you mean? If I don't forgive this person, you're not going to forgive me? Like, I don't know. That's what it says. That's what it says, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. Like, that's how much God wants us to forgive others because he knows how messed up we are and how much he has to forgive us. And I'm spending a little bit more time on this and others because this is one of those ones, again, that, that we may not see that's prevalent in our lives like some of these others. And being trapped in this unforgiveness, man, it, just, it can wreck our lives. And not only will it wreck our lives, it trickles into our family's lives because our spouses, they're part of our lives, our children. And next thing, we got a whole clan of unforgivers. I know that's not proper grammar, but... If you hear me talk, you see I'm not that proper. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 is a great verse. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is what God is calling us to. He's calling us to forgive. If you're in the, this prison of, of unforgiveness, man, hopefully today you'll make a choice to come out of that prison. Hopefully today you'll, you'll interact with Ephesians 4 and say, God, you know what? It's in and through Christ that I've been forgiven and I must forgive others. Not I can or not I want to, I must. I must forgive others because I really feel the weight and understand of how much you really have and continue to Forgive me. God doesn't want us in any prison, but in our foolishness and unforgiveness, we lock ourselves up all the time. We put the cuffs on ourselves. We close the bars, the whole nine. (laughs) Maybe your prison is divorce. Another popular one. You feel that since you've had a failed marriage that God must not love you or that he can't use you for anything. So you mope around. Kind of like this outcast had a failed marriage, whether it was your fault and you left them or vice versa. But you're in this prison. You're letting this dominate your life. Everything in your life revolves around this this failure that you say you have. Maybe your prison is anger. You're mad at the world and everybody in it. You walk around with a chip on your shoulder, like a ticking time bomb waiting to go off, because you're just angry about all kind of stuff. I didn't get the promotion at work. I've been there 26 years. I was there when the company began. And how all these people keep coming passing me up? So I got an attitude. My kid don't never get, get to play in the big game. They're on the bench when it matters. And you get angry. And it's always a conspiracy. If you encounter people like that? And if you are that person, know this is how you sound. It's a conspiracy against you. Everything is out to get you and your family. That's what it is, and because of that, you got an attitude, and everybody around you knows it, Mr. Angry Man or Angry Woman. Don't nobody like to be around those people. You find yourself isolated, and you wonder why you don't have no friends. It's because how you projecting yourself walking around with this attitude all the time, even if it's, even if it's sadness, right? Who wants to be around a sad person all the time? Oh, woe is me. The earth, the sky is falling. Everything's caving in. Why me, God? It's always the why me, why me, right? These attitudes that we have, these things that go on in our life, and we either were angry, we're sad, we're depressed, like all these negative emotions begin to dominate every facet of our life. And it's like you get around these people and they either push you all the way away or they almost like suck you in some kind of weird way. And I'm trying to stay away from all of that. I'm like, let's pray. Let's pray. You know, I'm trying to bring the word in because that's what's needed, right? That's exactly what's needed. You see, there's some hurt and pain somewhere that you keep running from. And until you deal with it, it's only going to get worse. All these things I'm talking about, there's some hurt and pain internally. There are some things that's happened in your life. That's affected you deeply and you've been running. You've been running from them. You don't want to deal with them because it's hard. It's messy. And what you've done is you've imprisoned yourself to this thing and it's dominating your life. And the only way, the only way you're ever going to be freed from it is to be seeking God, is to be seeking him daily, to be meditating on his word, to be praying and asking God to help you deal with these issues. That's the only way that we can get away from these things. And these things can even get worse, man. They can lead to, to, to strokes, to heart attacks. They can even lead to death. We let these things work us up so much. Or maybe you're the hopeless person, the woe is me person. Never, Nobody goes right. You keep messing things up, right? You mess up money, you mess up relationships, you mess up jobs. It's kind of like a scatterbrain scatterbrain person. Your mess-ups become your prison. All of the failures that you have become this prison you're trapped in where you're never going to get it right. Oh, well, yeah, you know, I'll I'll never get that job because, you know what, I'll never get the job. I'll never get the, the part. I'll never be able to get in the big game. Nobody ever like me. You know, you have no confidence in who you are in Christ. You can't think of anything else but messing up. And guess what? You'll continue to mess up because that's your expectation. This is the identity that you've given yourself. I'm I'm Mr. or Mrs. Mess up. But whatever happened in trusting in the Lord, that's what this person will be lacking. Trusting in the Lord. Whatever happened to know your identity is in him and not your sin and not your mistakes. It's an identity issue. It's an identity problem that we have. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's knowing your identity in Christ. Your identity isn't your failures. Your identity isn't your your physical inabilities. Your identity is what you get and what you don't get. Our identity is in Christ. We have to understand and realize this. Anytime Satan is feeding us all these lies, anytime he's feeding us all these lies, we have to understand who we are in Christ. We are children of the king. Jesus is our brother. That's my brother. And when I got some problems, I'm going to my big brother. Help a brother out, Jesus. I need you. Come on in because Satan on me. I'm tripping in the flesh. I got these external things, these internal things going on with me. And man, it's wrecking my life. And I need you, Jesus. Please help. Get on your knees. Get flat on your face. Cry to God, get in his word, abide in God, and he'll abide in you. These are the truths that we have to know about ourselves and how to combat these issues that we have in life, because we all have them, and these are prisons. I'm, I'm calling these things prisons that hold us back and keep us down. Perhaps you're sitting there thinking, Lewis, out of all the things you mentioned, none of this stuff applies to me. Maybe that's what you're thinking. If you were to tell me that, I would say I'm glad for you. But don't miss the point. And here's the point. There is something that we can all be in prison too. For some of us, it's obvious when we just think about it. But for others, it'll take seeking the Lord to find out exactly what it or they are. This is why seeking the Lord is so important to our daily walk with God. Seeking the Lord is where our relationship with God begins and is sustained. When we prioritize seeking God first in our lives, it not only strengthens our relationship with him, it keeps us in tune with what sin is and how to stay away from it, right? How do we stay away from that stuff? Seeking God is our means to live a holy life unto him. It's seeking God. Right, It's asking for salvation. That's the starting point. But then it's seeking God. That's called a relationship. God wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. And once we know what prison we're in, once we identify now it's just knocking. God, hey, check this out. I got this problem, and I need your help. Because a lot of times we try to fix it ourselves. Man, look. That's the first lie we got to get away from. We can't fix it. We can't. I'm going to say it again. We cannot fix the problem. We need to be seeking God to help us. That's what we must do if we want to be delivered from this prison. Asking the Lord to save you from your sin and eternal separation from him is first. Next is seeking and cultivating a relationship with him. That's based on us seeking him first and foremost in our lives, even over our spouses, even over our children is seeking God first. This is when he'll show us any idols we may have in our lives. And all we have to do is ask him to help us overcome this prison. We've placed ourselves in and then he'll set us free. John chapter eight, verse 36 said, who the son sets free will be free indeed. Be free indeed, right? And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ that they know this, that your salvation is secure, that you've been freed from the penalty of sin. We no longer have to worry about paying for our sins. That's an amen, hallelujah right there. But see, there's still bondage to sin that we can allow ourselves to be in. Jesus paid the price for that too. to where we no longer have to be in bondage to sin. But yet we still allow ourselves to be in these prisons. And God also paid for us that one day, one day in the future, we no longer have to worry about the presence of sin. This is a mighty work of God, a mighty, mighty work of God. I hope that you can see being in prison does relate to you. Hope you can. In order to be free from it, you must seek God through meditation and prayer. And in so doing, you'll be made free. And so that's the first part. The second part is one of the opportunities that um, you all have today is, as um, Pastor Dave prayed about people being in bondage and people being in prison, that's what i have the unique opportunity to be involved in to to do prison and jail ministry and those people are kind of in the the double prison right like you out here might just be in the in the in the single prison <laughs> they in the double prison they're literally in a prison and they're in the spiritual mental prison and so i get the unique and blessed opportunity to get a chance to take god's word inside these institutions To minister to these guys, to help them understand who Christ is, what He's done for them, and who their identity can be in, and how they can be free on the inside. Because me, when I was in prison, I was free. I wasn't free physically, but I was free spiritually. And my concern wasn't about freedom out here, because that wasn't my reality right then. My reality was I was incarcerated. And my heart and the Holy Spirit was saying, God, use me right where I'm at to not be concerned about all these other things in the world that I have no control over and I can't be a part of. Be concerned with where you are and what you can be in control of. And so God delivered me from that physical prison. And now he's opened the door for me to go back in hopes that other people, too, like he did for me, can be delivered from that prison. And so, there's an opportunity for you guys to respond in helping out today. In my last couple minutes, there's a unique opportunity. One is this the the way I started off today with, you know, Prison Saved My Life, I actually wrote a book about it. (laughs) It's called Prison Saved My Life. I recommend it for everyone. So, literally, That's the title of a book that the Lord um, just blessed us with being able to write um, and get published a couple months ago. And I've already explained the idea behind the title. You, know, you see, it's not very big, and that's intentional. The goal for this book is to get it in the hands of prisoners. Now, it's not a book just for people in prison, but the goal is there's no religious symbols or artifacts on the cover. There's no Bible verses anywhere on the cover. And that's intentional because um, the audience that we're hoping to reach in prison is twofold. It's the believer in Jesus Christ in hopes that they read this book and they see the power of God that they've already experienced But then they get a chance to see a bunch of stories because there's a bunch of stories in this book about how God interacted in my life and helped deliver me from different situations in hopes it'll give them more faith to be able um, to lean into God to help them through the situations they're going through like the ones I went through. The second audience is the non-believer, thus the no Bible verses or religious symbols, because we want a person that sees this book not to say, oh, that's some Christian stuff. Or maybe they throw it away or they tear pages out. But maybe they'll see this title and say, prison saved my life. I'm in prison. It ain't saving my life. I want to get out of here. It ruined my life. That's what most people would say. Maybe they'll see this weird kind of kooky title and they'll pick the book up and they'll read it. And they'll say, wow. Maybe this God thing is real. Maybe Jesus is real. And maybe it'll get them on the starting line of faith. So that's the goal for this book is to get it in the hands of prisoners. I call it an evangelistic tool is to get the word. is all gospel from beginning to end. And so the unique opportunity that you have today, one of them is um, I'm selling the book, buy one, give one. So when you buy a book, you're also paying for a book for somebody that's incarcerated that we give away free. So, any, you know, again, I never had original thought. So like the Tom Shoes thing, right? You know, you buy a pair, they give a pair. Well, I borrowed that idea, too. You buy a book, you give a book. Um, So you'll have that opportunity after service today by refreshments. The next opportunities, there's two more. One is maybe you're saying, look, I want to see some of these people. I want to talk to some of these prisoners. Well, guess what? I can give you a unique opportunity. Two different ones. Maximum security in Cook County Jail if you feel so inclined. It's not scary, trust me. Or this new unique opportunity I just embarked upon at the Youth Detention Center in Warrenville, Illinois. So not as far as young kids like 13, 14, 15 years old in jail. Some of them big time crimes, but they're kids. In jail, doing time. And they got messed up equipment. They got the gym floor messed up. And they're hungry for people to come in and mentor them. They're hungry for people to bring, they can bring food in and feed them. So they're literally hungry, (laughs) you know, from the institutional food. And they're also hungry for interaction. You can go in there and we can do soccer stuff, basketball stuff, football, run, club, you name the sport. We can do it up in there. I just met with the people last Friday. And then the third opportunity, maybe you're saying, look, I don't want to be around people. That's cool. Maybe that's an issue, and that's not my business, and you need to to go to God with that one. But the third and final opportunity is you can impact a prisoner's life from the comfort of your own home. You might be thinking, you're singing my song now. (laughs) I can be at home in my lazy boy reclining, and I can impact a prisoner? But come on, Lewis, really? Yes, because our ministry sends Bible courses through the mail to people all over the state of Illinois and actually six other states in the country. And we got thousands of students who take these, book, these courses free. We give them to them free, pay for the posters going in and their posters coming out because they don't have money and they have essay questions they have to answer. And we look for people to respond to those where if they're kind of off the mark in God's word and you think I love the word and I know the word and I want to help impact you can write, right on their answer sheet with your own handwriting, with your own pen, encouraging them in God's word to help them understand it. Or maybe it's a person that's got it and it's just encouraging them like, man, brother, man, sister, like you got it. It's a blessing. I can tell you this, the most common comment we've had from the people that we have that do this is it's more of a blessing f- for them than they feel it is that they're doing for the person. And You get in God's word. So if you got problems, that'll get you in the word. You'll learn. It's just, it's almost like a, you keep giving and you keep getting. It's like you can't outgive God. The more you do it, the more God keeps giving you back in blessings. So those are the opportunities. You can help a person by buying a book and we'll give a book. Um, If you want to go in and deal with people, whether it's Cook County, Maximum Security, or the juvenile place, we can get your name and email address and stuff for that to contact you about information later. Or if you want to do the commenting, the responding to people's courses, you can have an opportunity to do that today, too. So we want to provide a pathway for you guys to help people who are literally in prison be set free spiritually inside the same institution. And so that's exactly all the time I have. So it's been a joy and a blessing being here with you all today. So I want to close us. Thank you. Thank you. If I can, if I can close this time in prayer, then we can go ahead and move on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word because in it, it exposes our sin, our insecurities, our failures, God. It exposes those things, but it doesn't just expose, God. There's healing. There's forgiveness. There's ways that that we can interact with you, God, where these don't become the dominant and preeminent things in our life, Lord God. And you show us what that is, is. is seeking you. is loving you. is putting you first. And so I just pray that we can be mindful to keep you first in everything we say and everything we do. And I pray, Lord God, that for any of us that may be trapped in any type of prison, God, that we'll quit running. Lord, then we'll quit running because maybe some of us have been doing it for a long time and and you get nowhere fast. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll give us the courage and the wherewithal to just come to you, God, and be real. And you already know what's going on anyway, God. And help us be able to deal with these issues that we have in our lives so that we can be set free, but not just to be set free for us, but to be set free for you so we can live more in the fullness of what you have for us, God that we can be the people who you want us to be, not to be hindered and bogged down by every worldly thing that's out here, but to to be concerned with you and the things that you have, Lord. So we just thank you so much so much for this time, and we just pray that, that we can continue to draw near to you, that we can die to ourselves more and to live to you each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.